Welcome back to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. Hey, just another reminder, if you want to contact us, our uh, email address is hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com, or you can find our Facebook page and message us there. We appreciate it when you do. A um, couple, couple things in the beginning here. Uh, not to start on a sad note, but uh, this week, uh, Cinderella guitarist Jeff Labar passed away at the age of 58. I had so, a feeling that was going to be one of the first things we mentioned. Yeah, that was kind of a drag. Uh, that is a drag. Yeah, yeah. so condolences to uh, his fans and his family and, and everything. Um, yeah, but that was a bummer. We just recently did a Cinderella album, so... Um, on better news, brighter news, uh, this is the... Uh, last episode of our second season. So, thank, oh yeah, yeah. So, thank you guys for hanging in there with us. Um, we're get, we're gonna we're gonna take a pause after this and retool just a little bit, and we're gonna be back uh, and probably be doing things a lot more frequently. You'll be hearing from us more often. We 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 apologize for being so so sporadic, but uh, both Aaron and I have like relatively busy lives with things going on, and sometimes it's hard to sync up. Um, I think one of the things we're gonna try to do is uh, maybe not have as many guests on the show because that lining up the logistics of that and everything has proven to be like um, something that delays us putting out quality content yep. for you guys. It's so. a lot easier for you and I to just get together right. and schedule something and, and bang one out because yeah, I mean, yeah, you know. yeah. But it, without we're we're still gonna have guests, but we're we're just gonna like choose our moments with those a little bit and make sure when we have them they make sense and and everything like that. Um, but we're gonna do a little bit deeper dive on some of the records that we're gonna talk about. Um, and so you know. Hopefully that'll be fun. And we're gonna and we're gonna have a little bit of fun with uh, uh, sort of like the format of the show and things like that too. So um, to be continued, but more Heck more yeah. on that soon. I've already made some uh, pretty cool uh, 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 purchases so that I <laughs> would have, a, have 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 good photos for for next season because that's just right. how I I got to do it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if if you're a fan of vinyl as a format, uh, you're gonna have a good time with our next season, I think, because we're gonna tap some of Aaron's uh, arcane knowledge of, <laughs> of, of of vinyl, which of which there is a lot, as you might expect. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. Uh, but today's today's record that we're gonna talk about is. Um, the self-titled Blue Murder album. And, and this one's kind of, I, th- I think this falls in that category of being a little bit lesser known than some of the ones that we've done, but uh, um, no less important for sure. And I'm pretty sure this is one of the first records we started talking about when we first yeah, it is. were thinking about sitting down and doing this. This was one of the first ones on our list. Yeah, so we're just now getting around to it. So that, that, that gives you an inkling of how we Things work. <laughs> well, because, you know, that yeah, that and then, like, you know, sometimes a fan recommendation comes along right. and we're just like, oh, that's a good one. Let's just go ahead and do that now. Right, yeah, and exactly. So, you know, not super plotted, but uh, we mm-hmm. meant to get around to this one, and then finally it was, it was time. Yep. <laughs> So, Blue Murder is a band formed in 1987 uh, with John Sykes as the lead singer and guitar. Uh, You may remember John Sykes from uh, a much previous episode uh, when we did an episode on the the self-titled White Snake album. Was that our uh, second episode, third episode? It's way back there. Way back there, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty early. Um, John Sykes is uh, is kind of like a superstar in the hair metal world. Uh, he started out with a band called Tigers of Pantang, which whose uh, album Spellbound is freaking awesome. Yeah, which I'd like to get around to doing one of their albums at some point. Um, and Thin Lizzy too. I mean, that's you know he's no slouch on the guitar. You know, he played Correct. played with some some heavyweights. Um, and he joined uh, White Snake during the Slide It In album, which is which is also a great album. Um, that was a, that was my first experience with White Snake was Slide It In. And, I've admittedly only heard that album like a handful of times. Oh, uh, it's pretty good all the way through, I think. I, I like it. Um, 
So, but he was uh, he was dismissed from White White Snake, um, and 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 I was kind of curious about this. Not that I'm a gossipy person or anything, but I was kind of curious. But uh, there's there's conflicting stories as, as to there why usually is as, as, as why um, the stories that I heard or that I found when I was looking it up was that uh, um, during the recording of the self titled White Snake album, uh, David Coverdale was having problems with his throat and was singing, um, and John Sykes um, wasn't really into that very much and he wanted to replace david coverdale in his oh own i heard band. about yeah I, I i did read that story and i was like no oh, really yeah, is, yeah yeah he thought david coverdale was faking it or something i don't know exactly what it but he went he he, he thought that he was uh, he was preventing the album from being recorded and so john Sykes was like let's get going let's get somebody else um which was a bad move on his part if that's what and that's happened. weird for reasons we're going to get to in a minute so, but go ahead and the other um reason that i read about was that uh david coverdale wanted a second guitarist specifically Steve I and uh, John Sykes did not like that idea and so he they got in an argument about that that was those are the two reasons I read who knows what's true um if you have any insight out there listeners uh, send them to us I mean it clearly <laughs> didn't make David mad enough to jettison the songs that Sykes had written right exactly so yeah. and Sykes went in and uh, finished you know. the album even though even yep. though he had been dismissed from the van he he wanted he, you know he had worked too hard on those songs and wanted some credit for it so um yeah so yeah, that's a back when rock and roll was way more run by businesses, I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, John Sykes is like he's he's like the European guitarist, I would say. He's more, uh, but he has some American influence in there, which is sort of a weird hybrid. Um, well, I don't know. You know, there's a long history of like the the the, the English uh, guitarist who's really yeah. into like the American blues stuff. Yeah, he, he's he's like a Richie Blackmore or a Gary Moore, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's kind of cut from that cloth um, and just happened to embrace America stuff. You know, uh, a little bit more and it was wildly. Isn't it successful. weird that basically, yeah, I mean, because you know, I mean, like after Richie Blackmore left, Deep Purple, he wanted Rainbow, and he wanted to be like this big popular band, and like mm-hmm. all of his really good albums kind of kind of didn't really get that huge here. Yeah. It wasn't until he made like the super accessible stuff that he kind of got known. Yeah. And I guess same thing for John Sykes. I mean, he didn't mm-hmm. get big until White Snake. Yeah. I mean, those Thin Lizzy records are good, but they're kind of like Yeah. You don't hear as many people talking about that that era of Thin Lizzy. I don't know why. I like that one. Yeah. That, that era too, but yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, but the, but for whatever reason, it didn't hit as big in America. And there's definitely a different kind of style. We'll have to, yeah, you know, maybe someday we'll do like a an, an episode on comparing your European versus American hair metal bands or something. Totally into that idea. Uh, uh, so the the let's talk about Blue Murder's band because this is a pretty sweet band. Well, it's, it, yeah, and, well, and it's crazy too because like originally attached before we even get to the players on the record like originally ray Gillen was gonna be in the band yeah and cozy powell and fucking cozy powell <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah which also would have been a very good band <laughs> once again yeah no complaint there i like ray Gillen. and it's kind of funny yeah. how many bands uh he joined and like started recording stuff with and then left you know in that yeah. period because i think he joined this after his little stint mm-hmm. working for black sabbath right right yeah mm-hmm. yeah because he'd started recording uh what is that He started recording one of the Sabbath albums. Oh, God. Eternal. Oh, I don't remember what the name of it is. Eternal Idol, maybe. Eternal Idol. Is it that one? And then, uh, and then, uh, he left, and I believe that's when Tony Martin came in and took over. Okay. And then he joined this band. And I get, didn't Geffen like want John Sykes to sing it. The his manager did, yeah. His his management said like, no, you should you should well, front the band also, and not you shouldn't have another singer. You should sing. And you also hear about the well, you know, we also had differences about how the song should be arranged. Yeah, we're yeah. okay. Creative sure. differences, the classic creative uh, differences. <laughs> 
and Cozy Powell ended up going off and joining Black Sabbath. So like he he landed okay. <laughs> some of the Sabbath were swapping some members back and forth. Yeah. And what wasn't uh didn't Cozy Powell say something about like he didn't like how long it was taking get to get everything going? I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I, it sounds like it took a while to get this off the ground. So I would yeah, not be surprised. A, yeah, when we get to the later mm-hmm. part of the episode, there's more of that sort of point that I'm going to make. Yeah, so so they ended up having Tony Franklin on bass, um, who has played with tons of people and is like he's one of those you know players players. Uh, he's played with Jimmy Page. I just think of him as the guy from the Firm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the Firm. Yeah, he played with David Gilmour. He played with Kate Bush. Um, he did play with yeah, Gilmore. and with White Snake. So and he and he has a lot of TV theme stuff too. Like he did a lot of TV themes and and things like that. He just you know just he's a players player. Um, so he's a really good get. And then on drums, we have Carmine Apice. Um, and I'm saying that very precisely because I, w- I wasn't sure how to say his name. And so I looked it up. There is a YouTube video about how you say Carmine Apice's name. Really? <laughs> cool, because I, I, yeah. I have used both because I was never quite sure. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, there's a, in the YouTube video they have like at least three pronunciations of his last name, and and they finally ask him. They have a little skit where these people are saying, "Look over there, I think that's Carmine Apiche," (laughs) (laughs) you know. And then they go over and they talk to him, and he says that he's well, and and because there's an Italian pronunciation and an American pronunciation, and so that is what has led to the the confusion. But Carmine says um, it's a piece. Anyway, uh, but that, that video is worth looking up just because it's funny. <laughs> um, but he's played with everybody, too. Like, he, you know, most famously with, like, Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck. And, I mean, he played with Rod Stewart for, like, how long? Right, forever. Yeah, he Fucking was, ever. Yeah, he was Rod Stewart's guy, basically. And he played um, on one of my very favorite albums of the 60s, that self-titled right. Vanilla Fudge record. Right, Vanilla oh, Fudge. Such a good album. Yeah, he's played with Ozzy. He played with Sly Stone. Which I thought was a weird fit, but like, uh, but very cool. I mean, Sly Stone, no slouch, man. Nope. <laughs> um, he was uh, going to do a tour with Vinnie Vincent in late 2018, um, but the tour got delayed and then ultimately got canceled. Uh, which well, I don't know if you've seen like what Vinnie Vincent's like track record of appearances and shows. This is the last like several years after he kind of <laughs> came out of hiding and decided he was going to be like a thing again. But like, there's kind of a, a long run of uh, hey, this thing's going to happen. Nah, no, nah, it's not. Is hey, he, this thing's gonna happen. No, no. It's is he a little bit like Morrissey that way? Is that kind of? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he also uh, recorded with Jan Ackerman from Focus. Um, I'm I'm a big Focus fan, so that that that. Fact- and I am less familiar with yeah. Focus, admittedly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, not relevant to this podcast. Uh, check out some Focus if you're interested no, in Focus crazy. Is, what I have heard is pretty yeah, good. And you should Swedish prog mu- music or whatever. So, <laughs> um. Blue Murder was released in April of 1989. Uh, it sold half a million copies and was deemed a failure. <laughs> Much like the Badlands album that we talked about, right. which sold 400,000 and was deemed uh-huh. a failure. Yeah, and that's I, apparently an unimpressive number. Oh, that's so sad. I mean, <laughs> I suppose if you're a record executive and you're looking at that that White Snake album well, yes. and going and thinking, and you're dreaming, but the guitar dollars. player just sold like a thousand billion albums right. with the last thing he did. Right. Yeah. So I suppose it's a failure from that perspective. But half a million albums, man, um, it's gold. That's a gold album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hey, come on. They uh, after putting it out, uh, they got to tour with Bon Jovi and Billy Squire. So, you know, touring with Bon Jovi had to have been good for their That's career. That's exposure. That's a lot of people you're being yeah. seen in front of. Yeah. 
after uh, after this album came out, um, Tony Franklin and Carmine Apice left the band, and Sykes auditioned and jammed with Def Leppard for a bit, which I thought was an interesting thing. That, that was verified. Yep, that could be pretty cool. Um, but they instead went with Vivian Campbell, which was probably the wiser move because Vivian's been there to you know to right, this yeah. day. So yeah, that worked clearly, out pretty well for it's everybody. Really stable. <laughs> so hey, fair worked enough. Out, it worked out well for everybody except John Sykes. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, and this album was recorded with mega producer Bob Rock. He's oh, and you can tell. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it big huge. produced album. It's massive sounding. Yeah, uh, and it's crazy. The uh, the uh, engineer has, as we were discussing earlier, has a lot of credits. This Mike Fraser, yeah, or he Fraser, does. however it's pronounced, uh, or uh, a whole bunch of ACDC records going back to uh, a Razor's Edge onward. Yeah. And Metallica like, and the Cult and Aerosmith. Uh, Aerosmith's permanent vacation, yeah. which I mean that Yeah. That sold a lot of copies. Yep, it sure uh, did. <laughs> Pump, uh Bad English, everybody's favorite <laughs> band ever. I'm sorry, I only know the one song. The super um, group, Bad English. The super group. <laughs> yep, yep. He, he worked on Sonic Temple. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Dio albums that nobody talks about, Strange Highways. Oh wow, uh, nice. Which is a totally uh-huh. awesome, like super slow, doomy yeah. record. And yeah. Uh so yeah, uh there was a lot of people at the helm of this album right. that made it sound great. And I uh got to digging into some of the other credits of the people who worked on the record. Um Cool. I mean, there's a lot of names in there. It's it, it's amazing how a record th- Yeah. This half a million seller had a quite the team behind it they had separate masters for the for the uh, uh for the record for the cassette and for the compact disc because i guess in 1980s you know compact discs a new medium and everything <coughs> but the guy who did the 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 cassette tape mastering is somebody named greg fulganiti and uh the number of uh awards to his name is kind of ridiculous because i don't know this name this is a new one to me i've not heard that name before uh, but in in the three decades that he's been in the business, he's he, he's he's been involved in the mastering or audio work on 175 golden platinum albums, 25 multi platinum albums, 100 number one recordings, 135 Grammy nominees, and, and holy uh, shit, <laughs> he did he did audio work on seven best picture nominees at the Academy Awards, wow, five best motion picture nominees at the Golden Globes. I mean, the guy's like been involved. Yeah. He's had his hands on. Just a, a shitload of he sounds like a workaholic. Apparently amazing albums or <laughs> yeah. amazing sounding, big selling, successful. Yeah. So yeah, for uh, a, a name I hadn't seen before, I was just kind of impressed at just what all was there. Uh-huh. That is impressive. Yeah, and that's just that I find that stuff fascinating when you find when you see these people that have been involved in the business forever and you they're not well known, they're not household names by any stretch, but they have consistently worked and won awards and it's all like behind the scenes or something like that. It's like. You know, I suppose in that world, in that business, you know, they might be more common names and things like that. But, you know, being as how we aren't in that business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get this guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so what's your story with this album? Well, for me, I uh, I knew uh, I knew the song Valley of the Kings. I remember seeing the video when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, so the. That was mostly what I knew, and I knew who John Sykes was somehow, because I remember I was just one of those kids who watched MTV constantly, so you just hear mm-hmm. people talk about other musicians and stuff like that. Um, 
I remember that song, and then all through the '90s, I remember hearing like on on classic rock stations around here, they'd play Jelly Roll. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. that survived on our our little local classic rock station until you know until they finally moved a decade ahead, and a lot of the '80s stuff got lost. So I always knew those, and and I want to say in the early 2000s, uh, I ended up uh, streaming the album to listen to it one time when that was still kind of a new thing, and uh, going, oh man, this is a lot cooler. Even that mm-hmm. I kind of remember those those songs I kind of that I I enjoyed and finally tracked down an LP copy and yeah now I have come to really enjoy it. Uh, it's like a lot more seventies um, ish I guess than a lot of the eighties <laughs> stuff that we've talked about. Maybe that's why yeah. I ended up liking it so much. Yeah, good call. It is it is a lot more like a seventies album. Yeah, I mean it clearly sounds like. Yeah, so, it sounds like the White Snake album, yeah. but that's probably because the same guy fucking wrote both albums. Right, so right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There and there's some like '80s guitar flourishes, but the songs themselves sound more like '70s songs. I hadn't thought about that before. That's a uh, that's good call. Well, and you know, um, it comes from David Coverdale, who's a '70s guy. Right, he, that's he, true. He, he like yeah. wrote that album for with for with Dave, so he's just in that yeah. mode already. Because this is only two years after that, so he's still, you know, doing it. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, this was at the end of sort of my hair metal phase. I think I was getting ready to go through a big blues phase right about this time period. Um, but I still remembered liking John Sykes' guitar playing a lot um, from White Snake days. Um, and I found a copy of this uh, at our local used record store. It was in the bargain bin. It was a promo copy, and I, and I got it for like a dollar or something like that because um, people were not buying this kind of music at, right all of a sudden. Um, but I was still curious enough. I thought, you know, for a buck, I'll check it out. And I got home and uh, loved it. Um, I remember t- making a cassette like dub of it so that I could play it in my car. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I mostly listened to the, the taped dub of it. Um, and then eventually I got rid of the album just because I – I went through a phase where I got rid of all my vinyl, which I horribly regret now. Yeah, because it's gotten yeah. a lot more expensive since then. Yeah, it's a lot more expensive, and I and I've rebought records that I sold for pennies, which is which always hurts. But uh, you know, this copy yeah. I have right here, it has a price tag on it from two thousand eight. This is a dollar, right? Yeah, this was in a dollar <laughs> bin back in two thousand eight, and that it wasn't a dollar when I bought it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a promotional copy. It's got a little sticker on it that says yeah. "Valley of the Kings" and "Jelly Roll" and "Blue Murder." Yeah, <laughs> featuring. <laughs> yeah. So how about that? <laughs> um, yeah. let's dig into the album a little bit. Um, so we've got it's nine songs and it's fifty two minutes. Which is yes, pretty long. For I noticed nine that. Songs. Uh, yeah, and you can, yeah, you can tell on the record that it's a fifty-two minute record. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. that it isn't well mastered because it is, but you're also putting fifty-two minutes on a single LP, right? Which is a lot. Yeah, um, I think that uh, um, it's generally regarded that this this record should have been huge for everyone, um, but it's another one of those that didn't make it for some reason. Um, it's so it's kind of an underground hair metal classic and that's another strange thing because you know uh uh we were used to longer songs being singles by this point you know Mm -hmm. even single edits a lot of times were still four and a half minutes yeah and you know this is a pretty lengthy album when you get here looking at it and we'll dig into that in a minute so it's kind of weird but i wonder if that had anything to do with it you know just everything right yeah, the the ADHD factor. Or you really something. hadn't gotten in. You don't really get to like a lot of like hour long albums for another couple of years when CDs right. really become the dominant medium. So I mean, a fifty two minute album in eighty nine yeah. was kind of wow, you know? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this would have been. I'm trying to remember when Extremes Three Sides to Every Story came. Well, out. that's like '93 kind of, or so something. That's a little later. So we're we're well we're well into the digital era then. Yeah, yeah. So, that, but that's another one that said that it feels to me like they had some longer songs, and the album is definitely longer, and and it it missed. You know, it, it didn't didn't quite do as well as what people wanted it to. Um, so we start out this record with Riot, um, which. I, you know, it's a strong start to a record, I'd say. I like it. You know, how many 80s rock albums do you get a nice little fretless bass intro? Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a unique yeah. thing right in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. And and what stuck out for me on this song was that the lyrics, they're a cut above, like for from hair metal, your typical hair metal genre stuff. The, the, the song seems to be about like a young boy who they think committed a murder, but he's innocent and they're hunting him down, um, you know. Which I thought that was an interesting topic. That's uh, you know very very strange in a lot of ways. He and that's a theme I think that's going to pop up a lot on the record with yeah. with only a few exceptions because yeah, there's kind of yeah. a different stuff you know. Yeah. Um, I did I, I did know like yeah for for a three piece band the band sounds huge on this song. They do sound and once huge. again that go, comes down to Bob Rock. Well, and yeah. the, the fact that they had a dude who played keyboards on like the whole record, this right. Nick Green who yeah who also played with White Snake. Oh wow! I hadn't. I missed that connection. That's that's pretty cool. So John Sykes is trying to create that White Snake sound pretty hard. It sounds like <laughs> I sure would say so. Um, yeah, he has a ton of great guitar riffage throughout this song, um, and Tony Franklin has an awesome like bass run solo thing right before the guitar solo that I thought was pretty jaw dropping. Once mean, again, you don't get a lot of that. No, we, we. I don't know how many songs we've ever we on this podcast we've been able to say there's this like sweet little bass solo thing right yeah i can think like i think there's only one other one maybe in the yep so it's it's all about the guitars <laughs> um but uh john sykes shows off his shred abilities on the solo here like pretty well um and at, i thought at at almost six and a half minutes the song does start to get a little bit long but they they don't really let the energy wane it's like the energy is like kept up throughout the whole song oh no it rocks hard all the way uh, through but yeah it's like it's it's crazy opening up with, with the, the six, six and, and a half, half yeah right? it's like hello <laughs> so you know yeah maybe maybe editing would have would have been helpful but you know yeah and then the second song is Sex Child. That's uh, a real title. Yeah, yeah. My, my note was, well then. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty creepy song to listen to. Um, absolutely terrible lyrics in my, every way. My note says, <laughs> not one person was going to tell John that, that maybe wasn't the best title. That was a yeah. room full of adults and a record label. They were like, no, right. that's cool. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah go for it, yeah. That's not what, usually in favor of labels meddling, but right, yeah. Come on. <laughs> some, somebody at some point's like, dude, yeah, whoa, whoa, somebody should have caught flag. this. Yeah, uh, there's some great solo work on it towards the end, which I thought was great. Um, and I have, uh, I found a story from the engineer you were talking about, Mike Frazier. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells a story about like how when he was working on this album, uh, they were they uh, they auditioned uh, several vocalists. You, you mentioned mentioned Ray Gillen before, um, he, he, so. Um, Mike Frazier mailed the Blue Murder tapes um, to the studio so that they could start auditioning vocals, and then he flew to L.A. Um, and then he was, uh, and then the, the tapes didn't show up for a few days. And, and, and it turns out they were flagged in customs because one of the tapes said "sex child" on it, and plus it was analog tape, so there was a master reel and a slave reel, and so they were labeled. So you got "sex child" and "master and slave," um, and so customs flagged it. <laughs> So once again, bad choice for oh, a song boy. title. <laughs> I, I I don't I yeah. you have me speechless here. I mean, yeah, right. right. 
I mean, just yeah. imagine you're that person. You're just you're just customs person because it was recorded right, in yeah. BC in, in British Columbia, right? It was one yeah, of the studios yeah. they worked in. Yeah. yeah, you're just like, so it's probably yeah. cold. Right. So you might not be in the greatest <laughs> mood, and it's in the morning, and you're pissed off, yeah. and you see these tapes come through, and you're like, okay, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so if you're gonna listen to the song after after checking out the podcast, uh, you know, I would, you know, I don't know if I'd say skip the song, but do not listen to the lyrics because you'll be like really sad and creeped out. <laughs> And you know, it's funny because like I would doubt that this is like the only song that is that creepy lyrically that, right. that's on any album we're gonna talk about. It's Same. just that yeah. <laughs> everybody else's title would at least give you some sort of entendre. Right, yeah. Like sex <laughs> some sort. Yeah, like sex kitten would have been better. For sure. You know? <laughs> Anything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sex lady, you know. <laughs> Sex lady. <laughs> That'd be better than child, you know. It's like you're getting. That's just a little too close, you know. Uh, so anyway, let's move on and not talk about that ever again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next was the uh, Valley of the Kings, which was their lead single off of off of this record. Once again, kind of weird that your lead single is an eight minute yeah. song. Yeah. Now, granted, yes, I mean, you know, Guns N' Roses put out like an eight minute, nine minute song, but this was right. also ninety one, and we we were well into the digital era, and it wasn't the lead single. Yeah. Um, Carmine actually, I think, was the one who said he thinks that uh, using this as the lead single like hurt the chances of, of momentum because right. because yeah. uh, you know I mean you're asking people to your first taste you know you right hey have uh-huh. eight minutes it's like well you yeah. know usually you you bring them yeah. in with a shorter tune but as we mentioned there isn't shorter tunes on this album <laughs> yeah yeah I, almost eight minutes long uh, there's a video for this one uh, I watched the video just out of curiosity I didn't watch the video how is it uh, it's very very 80s um, that's not surprising yeah. I guess yeah John Sykes was flying his hair metal freak flag for sure um, and you know I gotta say he was a gorgeous man. <laughs> well, <laughs> he sure, got long, that, flowing, block, you know, locks of the, blonde the great, hair. Yeah, the great big old man. Yeah, of um, course. He was supposed to be in a band with David Coverdale. When right. you look at them together, it's like, well, yeah, of course. They're very pretty men, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another super amazing guitar solo here, and there, there's strings in the background that sounds a lot like the string section on "Still of the Night" by White Snake. I thought it it almost sounds lifted. It. And, you know, the thing is, like, it's funny that it's eight minutes because it sounds like a video song, too. Like, does, you could yeah. almost, you know, like, like a, a lot of the songs in the 80s had this tone of, I don't, you know, they didn't yeah. necessarily know that the videos were going to be a big thing. But there were these songs that just sound like, yeah, I could totally see this having a video. And this yeah. is it. For, for, for a song that long, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, yeah. Uh, super good lyrics again after after recovering from the previous song that we won't mention again. Uh, but like the, the lyrics are really good and not very typical of a hair metal genre. This this time they're it's like they're talking about like pharaohs using slave labor to fulfill their egos and their wants and using religion to manipulate people. Yeah, and this um, Egyptian thing even is, comes up later on the album, but we'll get we'll get back to yeah, that. But yeah, which is pretty deep stuff for like you know for a lead single off of a hair metal record. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a crazy thing to lead yeah. with. Um, and then we go from this into Jelly Roll, which probably should have been the first yes. single. Yes, and is, is uh-huh. a weirdly uncharacteristic song on the album for uh-huh. the most part, you know? Yep. There, there's not a there's not a lot of the other stuff that sounds quite like it on here. Right? Yeah, it is. De- it's very, very different, and it's and it's super catchy, uh, but it's still very rocking. Which so they really captured lightning in a bottle with this. song. Oh, they really think. did. And you, you have know. to love the fact that the whole coda yeah. is based on the song just taking out an incredibly hard left turn. Right. Yeah. 
You know, like if this was a song yeah. from the seventies, it would be one of those songs that has like the slashes in the title and you yeah. explain the different parts. It'd be like a like right. a yes song or Emerson right. Lake and Palmer where there's the sections. Right. Because <laughs> this has sections. Because it, it's like it you're does. Just going along on that that acoustic groove yeah. and then suddenly it's like, nope, we're rocking out now. Yeah. We're gonna do the whole slow thing and yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is the song that uh, the first time I heard it, this is the one that made me kind of sit up and go like, you know, whoa, what is this? This is really cool. And, and then, See, this is the one I didn't hear till later because uh-huh. I pretty much just knew Valley of the Kings. And I think I might have heard the song Blue Murder. but Because, um, yeah. yeah, during the 90s when I, in, in early 2000s when I was working in like factories and warehouses and stuff, I would hear the song. I'm like, I know this song from somewhere. What is yeah. this? And I could never quite piece yeah. it together, and I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a love song, which is kind of interesting, but it's and and not a creepy one. It's actually pretty charming. It's uh, other than the part, there's an implied breakup in it, like that you know, like he, he, if they break up, he's breaking his heart and stuff like that. But yeah, and then like you mentioned in, in the second half of the song, it's a complete, it's a completely different song. Um, yeah. And it sounds, it's kind of sounds like I thought it sounded like a meatloaf album. Like <laughs> it kind of goes into meatloaf <laughs> mode because it gets so epic. Um, there's a video for this one too. For this song, and see, and, I never saw that one. Yeah, uh, I I can't recommend it. Uh, it 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 the video ends with John's. There's like there's like a hot woman in it, you know, like and she's a what? she's a model of some of type. All the I know. Um, and the video ends with uh, John Sykes and the hot woman making out in the rain, <laughs> which is like the most hair metal thing ever, I think. Um, and there's but there's also a live video of them playing this on the live on the Yahoo Serious show. Um, on the Yahoo Serious Show, yeah, I talk did, about a name I didn't think we were going to ever bring up right, on this podcast. Same, and, and you know, and, and mostly when I saw that, I was like, "Yahoo Serious had a show." <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it it was on MTV, wasn't it? I have no idea. I didn't. I was completely unaware of it. No, it's it's kind of coming back. Well, because he had a a moment. They were trying to like break him. Yeah, you know, because after Crocodile Dundee was big, they like yeah. He was the next. Let's let's right. go find this Australian and, and break him in America. Yeah, uh, people love Australians. Because there was a movie. <laughs> he had a young Einstein. I think it was called. I think, okay. Um, and I want to say around that time, the other part of the campaign was to have him have that show. And I want to say it was MTV. Because doesn't that seem okay. like a very MTV sort of it thing? Does. It does seem like an MTV thing. I mean, or maybe like yeah. something like the USA Network. I don't know. That they they yeah. kind of had hadn't become super big yet so they yeah. could have put that show up but yeah so no it's all coming back to me now that you say yahoo series <laughs> is like yep and uh because like the, the little thing was like you can't be serious and he's like oh yeah i mean <laughs> didn't see that coming did you it's not just a clever name <laughs> no <laughs> uh then, then we have the uh the song blue murder which is a uh, which is a pretty good rocker, and there's a ton of shredding guitar, and it's um, also the only song that uh, Carmine gets a writing credit on. Oh, and my okay. guess, well, now uh, Tony Franklin said uh, uh-huh. that he did a lot more work. If you look at the writing credits on this, it says this was this album is written by John Sykes, except for where noted. Yeah. And the other writing credits are Valley of the Kings. Tony Martin has a writing credit, and then on this song, or Tony Franklin, I'm sorry, yeah. no, that is Tony Martin. Oh my god. Um, wow! Wow! Uh, Tony Franklin and Carmine are credited on this song. Okay. Now Tony says that he did a lot more writing than maybe these credits imply. 
Yeah. But uh, with this song, my guess was like, okay, that badass shuffle is, is Carmine's writing yeah. credit, isn't it? Because you hear that break in, it's like, okay, no other song has this super badass shuffle to it. Right. That's got to be like Carmine's. No, you right. know what this song needs, guys? Mm-hmm. Right. And he should get writing credit for that. You know? Oh, absolutely. There's some uh, cool phased out vocal bits. Um, I thought that lyrically, it's a lot like an action flick where everybody's trying to kill the main character, but he's fighting his way through. Um and I was going to ask you, what is what is your opinion about like when bands make a song with their band name in it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm pretty well fine with it um, yeah. because there's not many of them. And honestly, most of the ones are good because yeah. you see um, on the first Motorhead song or Motorhead album, Motorhead, there's a song called Motorhead. Okay. Now, to be fair, that was originally a Hawkwind song called Motorhead. Yeah. However, if Lemmy does it, it's okay. So right, right. <laughs> yeah. don't let that be an endorsement of Crystal Meth. Um, that's not where I mean to go with that. I'm really trying to limit this to more of just a, a, a rock and roll right, in and right. of itself yeah. argument. Yeah, the creative aspect. Um, now, of it. your yeah. however much uh, Jack Daniels you wish to ingest personally right. on a daily basis isn't really my place to say. Yeah. I would I would I would advise less than Lemmy. Less than uh, Lemmy probably. But as far as naming approach, a song yeah. after your band, well, he already said it was okay, so it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if you have opinions on that, uh, shoot us an email or a Feel message. free to share it. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, there's some a lot of bad examples, but there's a lot of great examples. Hashtag songs named after bands. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, fun fact: one of the backing vocalists on this album mm-hmm. is somebody named David Steele. I'm sitting there looking at the record. I'm like, I know this name. I know this name. I absolutely 100% know this name. I looked it up. It's one of the guys from Fine Young Cannibals. Oh, wow. Not the vocalist, because that's yeah. Roland Gift. Right, yeah. I also love the Fine Young Cannibals. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You're going to have to live with that one. No, no. Um, but uh, David Steele yeah. from the Fine Young Cannibals is one of the backing vocalists on this album. That's just crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> that's an interesting connection, too. Although, <laughs> I think I think the Fine Young Cannibals were on Geffen in the U.S., so I could see it working out to where, you know, he's in the studio the same time they are. Because I think their albums came out the same year. Yeah. And so it's one of these things where it's like, oh, hey, you're available. Hey, come on over here. And they get the BS yeah. and they talk. They hang out. Somebody right. sings on somebody's record. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got this guy in this studio next door. Do you want to come over and sing on my record? I'll sing on yours. Or hey, there's a, there's a track record of that <laughs> yeah. shit happening. So, yeah. you know, I mean. um, The next song is Out of Love. My only note was we all knew this part was coming. Right, yeah. This is definitely a heartbreak song, and this is the power ballad. Um, very atmospheric song. Although I can totally um, hear the White Snake vibe in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or at least the yeah. John Sykes writing for White Snake vibe. I guess yeah. we should probably subdivide that sort of argument, yeah. but whatever. Mm-hmm. And we get more of Tony Franklin's fretless bass playing, like uh, which I'm assuming that he learned and, and used to great effect on Pink Floyd stuff. So Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he was playing with Gilmore. Um, there's some very melodic soloing here too. Um, probably the most melodic guitar solo stuff on the whole record. I yes, it, it's it. He actually yeah. did a, did a good job of like going yeah. into sort of more melodicism for the slower song. So I guess that right he did that work. Yeah, he, he 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 reined in the shred a little bit for the. This for was the actually a song that made me think like uh, it's it, which is funny because it's even shred well because it's even shreddier than some of the other stuff that's like a ballad around this yeah. time. Cause what I was thinking of was, uh, you know, if, if Motley Crue had this song or like the ballad, yeah. Mick Mars would like play this solo totally differently. And he would yeah. basically find like a melody line to play and maybe yeah. just put just a tiny little bit of shred at the end of the solo right, yeah. or something like that. Cause, <laughs> he was always, Cause Mick was always really good at like, okay, for this song, it's like slower, it's chiller. So I'm going to kind of do like a melody, but 
I'm surprised this song didn't become a hit for them. Um, I mentioned that I was surprised there wasn't was there there wasn't a video for this. Not that I found no. No, which, so which I, I was kind of, yeah, that was my thought. And the other thing that I thought was I would actually kind of like to have heard uh, uh, Ray Gillen sing this song. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that would have been pretty sweet. He's got a voice yeah. that I think could rip this up. Although, yeah. you know, this whole album makes me realize that John Sykes is a better vocalist than I think he thinks he is. Right, yeah. Because yeah. when you read through the Blue Murder story, one thing that's constant is we're trying to find a new singer. We're trying to find right, a new yeah. singer. <laughs> Even after this album, they were trying to find a singer. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, dude. Yeah, his his voice is great. Or is it just that you know some of these guitar parts you listen to? It's like you got to sing over trying to do this. Right. That might. I mean, you're a guitar player. You know, like. Yeah, it's it's hard. You can hear some guitar parts and go, "I don't want to have to sing while I play that." Right. No. (laughs) Especially at this level of playing that he's that he's that he's going for. Um, Yeah, I think this song came out as like hair metal is starting to recede from the cultural consciousness. and it's also like six minutes and forty five seconds long, so it's not exactly hit single length. Um, but I think if I think if they could have trimmed the, up that end a little bit, and if the record would have been slightly more successful, if they could have dropped this ballad as like the third single or something like that, I think they would have saved hair metal. Could have. <laughs> well, because you know it's it's this one like some of the other yeah. albums we've talked about is the least. Um, the least hairy of hair metal. Right, you yeah. Know? I mean, so if we were to talk about our little hair metal smell test, which we've oh, offered a couple yeah. times at the start of the episode, um, I would say kinda. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We forgot to do the smell test at the beginning. Oh, we shoot. did, and I apologize yeah, because I it was that. a new thing for us. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So next, up, following that up, we've got a song called Billy, um, which has a very cool vibe, and it's it's another song that's different from the rest of the record, um, and. It, but lyrically, it, it reminds me of that that previous song where it's 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 another like riot where it's another person on the run from the yep. law who is falsely accused. Um, but it's a cool theme, and you don't hear it much in hair metal, so it's like I, which is I, funny. I, I, I give it a pass. <laughs> no, and that's it's great. But the because the, the the weird thing is, uh, my one of my first notes on it is this of uh, it's the most '80s sounding song to me on the album, like. Oh yeah, it is. Not necessarily production wise, because it's, it's an '80s production album. But I was right. talk, ha- talking about how it kind of like sounds like '70s rockers making making yeah. a, a record in the '80s. Yeah, this is like one of the most '80s written yeah. sounding songs. Yeah. That's a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and to your point, I, I, I had a you know, there's a great guitar solo in it here, but uh, the guitar solo section does some interesting shifts, which reminds me of like '70s sort of like rock stuff, where uh, I can't quite tell if it modulates or not, but it moves around through some. Uh, there's an interesting chord progression that's different to the guitar solo section than the rest of the song, which is that's a that's a total '70s. Nice, movie, you know, um, you know, and, and it gives him a chance to really show off and play in different you know keys and stuff like that. And this was also one that I happened to really enjoy the vocal production on a lot. Yeah. Like, for, yeah. for such a slim band, they had a lot of, like, m- you know, harmonies. Um, and I don't know how much... Everybody's credited as doing some backing vocals. I don't know how much they did. Yeah. And there's only two other uh, credited backing vocalists on the album. The one I was talking about, David Steele, and somebody named Mark LaFrance, who if you look okay. through Dr. Feelgood, he sings backing vocals all over that album, too. So we, Oh, wow, okay. I think there's people who just make a living being backing vocalists on records. I would do that in a second. Yeah, no kidding. What a great job. That sounds like a great job. <laughs> you want me to show up for like a couple hours, sing some notes, I'm going to go home, you're going to pay me to do it? Yeah. What album do you want me to sing on? <laughs> I don't even care at this point. <laughs> uh, the next song is Ptolemy. Um, 
which I, I thought this was kind of funny. It's like, hey, kids, it's that famous astronomer. <laughs> so Blue Murder is like, you know, they're big on education. <laughs> my, the, yeah. my, my first note was, uh, of course, this song has the big Egyptian-sounding intro. Right, yeah. <laughs> which is odd that Valley of the Kings didn't. They saved it for this one, but, yeah. you know. And much like uh, uh, Valley of the Kings, they decided to, that it needed oh. to not be a brief song. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Ptolemy, of course, was like the guy that basically decided that the Earth was the center of the universe um, and proved it proved it mathematically um, at the time. He's a big math nerd. He helped invent trigonometry, so you can blame him or thank him for that. Um, but this has lots of cool modal playing on it. You know that Egyptian like sort of feel that you're talking about. Um, this is probably the closest to a prog rock tune on the album, I think. Um, I, yes, it's, it's the closest. Yeah, the way a lot of those moves, because yeah. you know, Jelly Roll just goes from acoustic to a rock out that, right. that is unrelated. Whereas this one actually like has yeah that it's, kind of sectiony proggy move thing. Yeah, structurally, it's closer to like a prog rock tune. Um, and again, I like the lyrics on this one. I thought they were cut above. Um, I don't know how much they actually r- relate to Ptolemy or uh, to you know like astronomy in general or anything like that. Um, but I he, would ga- I would say maybe in the way that uh, if you saw the movie 300, you know a lot about uh, <laughs> that history. Maybe that way. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's treated sort of like as a mummy or something in the song, as far as I can tell. Um, that was just my interpretation of the lyrics anyway. It, 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 treats, it treats it like sort of like an Indiana Jones kind of way. <laughs> so, so this is the Indiana Jones song. <laughs> And then we close out the record with Black-Hearted Woman. And as it turned out, I actually, uh, this song I think got played on on Hair Nation on Sirius. Oh, really? It had been a while since I'd listened to this record, and I put it on, and I got to the chorus, and I was like, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm pretty, yeah. Uh Because I used to listen to a lot of Hair Nation. Okay. Well, amongst the other, I listened to a lot of stations a lot on Sirius. It was kind of a thing, but... But on Hair Nation, I remember hearing this uh, uh, a couple times at least. Yeah, that w- this would have been a deep cut, really. I mean, cool way to end the record too. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the music on this is super cool. The the lyrics are kind of sucky though. Um, this, they kind of go back to the whole, you know, it's about yep. banging a chick who may or may not be a demon or something. <laughs> but there's really cool guitar layers during the choruses, um, and he sings his heart out on this song. He does, and it is like I do like the super crunch of the guitars, even though it's going through yeah. that Bob Rock super '80s production. Like the guitars still have a little bit of you know mm, yeah. edge to them. Yeah, the chorus is catchy. Um, the song modulates in the middle and then climbs up for the big guitar solo, which is like that's always a good move when you're in in the hair metal genre. That's you know tried and true. You know, it works. It, it works. always works. Yep. It's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and that, that that is the album. That's the album. Those are all the notes I had. But my fun I'm... addendum to this is because yeah, um, it was after this record when he recruited the uh, the new band uh-huh. to put together Nothing But Trouble, the next album, that he had some turnover because people were like, I'm tired of how long this album's taking to make because it didn't yeah. come out till '93, uh-huh. and I took note of that because i remember i used to watch that metal show on vh1 classic uh-huh. i think it was um and mike portnoy and john sykes were both guests on it one day oh wow and they were being interviewed and they were like well i guess this is the coolest place to, uh, good good a place as any to say that we both have new projects going on and we're doing a project together 
Oh, wow. And so it was announced that John Sykes and uh, Mike Portnoy were actually writing music together. Oh, was like, man. oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. And so we heard about it, and then nothing, nothing, no news, no news. And finally, there was an interview with Portnoy where he mentioned, yeah, John Sykes, I just couldn't get him moving. He was just going so slow. I oh. I moved on, and we got we got Richie Kotzen instead, and that's the band that became the Winery Dogs that uh, oh, okay. Portnoy does with uh, Kotzen and Sheehan. Okay. Um, Which is a hell of a lineup. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's like expertly played, like straight ahead rock and roll. So it's, it kind of sounds like maybe like a David Lee Roth record okay. with, with Richie Kotzen singing. I'd be into um, that. Sure. Uh, but then uh, I just I just found an interview with Carmine that was from last year. It was from January of last year. So it's right before, you know, the world ended or whatever. But um, they asked him about Blue Murder. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've actually talked to John a couple times. And, and I've asked him if he wants to do it. And he always says yes, but... Right. Then he we can't what the headline was we can't get him to leave the house. <laughs> oh, so they just can't okay. get him to kick his butt into motion and do yeah. it, which is odd because I guess um, he also John Sykes put out a solo record not yeah. too long ago. I know he's he's kind of embraced a solo career, but now. that took a while to get to I guess. Yeah. Um. So he he's a slow huh. mover. That's what that's the impression. I'm uh, Seems. Yeah. All the interviews I were yeah. I was able to find about people just say well he just yeah takes a while to get him. Yeah. Going, which is funny because, yeah, like we said about the thing in White Snake about how, oh no, we got to keep this album going, let's replace David or whatever. Right, yeah. it's like, <laughs> Boy, you sure shifted gears after that, didn't you? Yeah, no kidding. He, he adopted it. And I mean, you know, it yeah. took two years to put out the Blue Murder album after mm-hmm. it was, and he was already signed to Geffen. Yeah. Like John Sykes was already a Geffen artist in 1987. And so, you know, dude, you take, yeah. don't get me wrong, I love the guy and I like the records he puts out, but yeah, he takes his sweet time getting to things. I have a, a short Mike Portnoy story. Um, my wife and I are big fans of Mike Portnoy, and uh, we went on we went on a prog rock cruise once, where uh, cruise to the edge, uh, where Yes played in Marillion and a bunch of other bands. Um, but Mike Portnoy put together a uh, tribute to Chris Squire um, that was amazing, and he hosted it like he like he would talk about the songs and stuff in between, and he got like basically everybody that was going to be on the boat like ended up like you know sitting in and learning yes songs and playing them and stuff like that, and it was a it was, it was pretty fantastic. Dude, that's cool um, as hell. Uh, but like, uh, and and my wife was like, you know, my wife is a drummer, and so she's really into Mike Portnoy, and we just had our a uh, couple years back right, right after that we had our our twenty fifth wedding anniversary, um, and that was when Cameo first came out, and so I found Mike Portnoy on Cameo, and uh, I had him make a video uh to send to my wife um, that is so cool and, uh, and 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 it made her tear up so it was a very successful anniversary present but like yeah yeah anyway that's a nerdy mike portnoy story <laughs> and that's pretty hip you yeah. gotta love cameo for that yeah. all right well uh we will be right back in just a minute with our very special guest today all right Okay, welcome back. Uh, our very special guest today is Mr. Ryan Sheeler. Hello. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Ryan? Sure. I'm a guitar player around Ames and uh, have played in several different bands over the years. I was in Flying Taxi for many years, or about five years. And then for close to 20 years, I was in the Box Brothers, and we were sort of an R&B party classic rock band around here. And Lately, I've been playing with Todd and Tony Stevens and Jenna Houston in the Ragdoll Incident, and I play and do freelance stuff around town, and, you know, you see me pop up in different places. I hosted a classical music show on KHOI one Thursday per month, and 
you know, I pop up in weird places. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy because when I was like, when I was really young, like one of the first jobs I ever had was uh, washing dishes at a country kitchen that isn't here anymore in this town that no I longer remember exists. remember that place. And there was a guy who was like a host at the, at who, who worked at the little host booth and he was in Flying Taxi Yeah, it was too. Nick probably. Nick. Yeah. It was Nick. Oh, yeah. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. So I've never <laughs> met another person who was in Flying Taxi. So that's, yeah. oh, that's yeah. awesome. We and, had our brief, like ever so brief 15 minutes of fame in the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah. I, I know Nick. Uh, he's, yeah. he's he's off producing films and things oh, now. Oh, yeah. 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 Joe Leonard was our bass and, player. And I used to play with Joe Leonard. So, like, uh, so there's, yeah. The, we live in a very small town, people. Yeah. Ames, <laughs> Ames is still a small town. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Leonard's a fantastic bass player, though. He's, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He was uh, the bass player in the second band I was ever in. Uh, oh, wow. And he, he took me to school pretty quickly. I was like, I, I almost didn't play with him. They offered me a, you know, I auditioned, they offered me a slot, and they said, you can play with us. But the main reason I got the audition is I took over a six pack of Mickey's Big Mouths, uh-huh. and uh, that won them over. And plus, I was the only one that had original tunes i guess uh-huh. and they liked that huh. but i was very I, I was in over my head like they wanted yeah. to cover rush tunes and i was sort of like i was not a, a, that good of a guitar player back then so i was <laughs> i was i was woodshedding a lot just to keep up with those guys yeah <laughs> but yeah that's very cool you bet um so let, let's talk about blue murder yeah gosh this is my high school days this is 1989 and i was living this came out in 88 or 89? 89. 89, 89. Yeah. yeah. I was living in Mundelein, Illinois. My family, my my parents got divorced, and then my uh, mom remarried, and we moved to Illinois. Lived in the northern suburbs. Lived in Mundelein, Illinois, which is, you know, Chicago has, you know, several hundred suburbs. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is closer <laughs> to the Wisconsin border. And we had cable TV at the time, and... Um, MTV used to do, during the middle of the day, like after the school uh, hours, uh, they did a condensed version of Headbangers Ball, and they called it Hard 30. Okay. It was. A, oh, man, I remember that. Yeah. Oh. And it was it was like hard rock and metal videos for about a half hour, like right in the middle of the afternoon, like right after school. And I remember when Valley of the Kings came out. I can't remember if I knew his Sykes had played on, I'm pretty sure I knew that he had played on the White Snake 87 album. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, this is a great song. That guy's a killer guitar player, too. <laughs> I can yeah. almost guarantee that would be the same place I saw the video for Valley of the Kings. Yeah. Only I was, in 89 when this came out, I was in, let's see, if it was, I was ending my third grade year when this came out. By that year, that's all I wanted to watch was MTV. So that uh-huh. was, And I would have got home from school about 3.15, and that would have been right before Hard 30 yeah. came on. yeah. Yeah, see, back in the day when us kids we were living through '80s metal, we didn't really see the the uh, light at the end of the oncoming train at the end of the <laughs> tunnel that that grunge was. We were just like, "Hey, this is cool," you know. Yeah. Gr- grunge. We had the benefit of hindsight, and we can see back now that by the late '80s, '80s, it was metal just hitting was, the end of its cycle was anyway. Yeah. Starting to wane, and you had like you know the 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 third tier bands like Trickster and and Firehouse and, and bands yeah. like that, you know, that were starting to. <laughs> You know, signal the end of you know Warrant had Cherry Pie and then Dog Eat Dog, which there's some songs I like. Dog on, Eat Dog on actually Cherry has Pie. some decent stuff on it. I remember, yeah, I, I checked that out from the library because uh, I would have been was that ninety two when that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, w- I would have been like twelve years old when that came out, and I I had enjoyed mm-hmm. the previous two albums, and I. I I was like, wow, this looks way different. You, know? <laughs> you could tell that they were... Something was in the air. 
<laughs> They're like, changes are coming. Oh, you know, it's, like, it's, like, it's like that album and the Motley Crue album. Everyone always said that they're like these grunge-influenced albums, but I don't really hear that. I just hear bands that just wanted to make harder albums. Right. Yeah. yeah. They don't really sound like grunge albums. They just sound yeah. like, okay, we don't want to do the big produced numbers anymore. We want to yeah. make some tough stuff. Right. I mean, granted, it was a reaction to grunge, absolutely, but... Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we covered uh, Skid Row's Slave to the Grind album, and that wasn't oh, yeah. really... That was, I, I don't feel like that was influenced by grunge, but it definitely was. They, they took a turn for the heavier, for sure. Well, because it came out right before, right. like right before grunge yeah. just right. wiped everything away. Yeah, yeah. yeah they but could Kiss, tell something was in the air too. This <laughs> had revenge right oh, then, you uh-huh. know, which that was, was their kind of ninety two or late ninety one. Their, their kind of return to form, you know. Gene Simmons had kind of checked out with eighties Kiss because he was doing movies. And oh, all we can tell. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But revenge was kind of a, you know, it's my favorite non makeup era album of the Kiss, other than maybe Creatures of the Night, maybe. But I could yeah. see that because yeah. It, Boy, because, yeah, they, they get softer and softer through the 80s. Yeah. And then you get to Crazy Nights, and it's like, oh, mm. boy, that's A lot just of keyboards rough. on there. Yup. <laughs> <But, yeah. laughs> is on Revenge, isn't it? Yeah. That's a pretty decent tune. Yeah, and Unholy, and I just want to... Yeah, yep, Unholy's on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the Bill and Ted song's on there, too, isn't it? God gave oh. rock and roll to yep. you. Yeah. I actually yeah. bought the Bill and Ted soundtrack on vinyl, but that's because I wanted the Faith No More song. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of my yeah. favorite Faith No More. Well, and my very favorite Megadeth songs on that soundtrack, so I had to get that one. But That's a great soundtrack. Hell yeah. yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blue Murder, I remember when that came out, and uh, Valley of the Kings uh, was my first exposure to that, and several other songs I really like on there. Billy is another one. Mm-hmm. Um... I even like the power ballad. It's sort of sort of a paint by numbers power ballad, but yeah. out of love is is cool. You know, John yeah. Sykes is a, was a killer guitar player. Still is. You know, yeah. he's sort of oh, yeah. falling off the face of the earth. Well, he's active in Europe and Japan and stuff, but uh-huh. he plays a lot more shows than he releases albums. Yeah, we were talking about that. Well, did, do you remember when he when originally he was going to start a project with Mike Portnoy in the early yeah. two thousand tens? Didn't that end up being Winery Dogs? You are exactly and, correct. And yeah. Richie Kotzen came in. Well, it's because they said Sykes, they just couldn't get him moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the same thing why we don't have a Blue Murder reunion, because I guess both Carmine and Tony have talked yeah. to John about it. He's uh, like, yeah, I'd, I'd do it. But then uh-huh. he just... Ne- then he doesn't. hear from him two <laughs> years <laughs> later. <laughs> and kick it in the ear. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, he's probably like, you know... He's fixing to what do What do you suppose his royalty rate is on that White Snake record? Because he like he wrote that album. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And he has yeah. to have done well. The guy's got to be comfy from that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, now, granted, a, a lot of major labels do rip off artists, and I'm not trying to say like they right. wouldn't, but so, but I gotta imagine that guy got a pretty decent yeah. cut, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not, you know, I've heard all kinds of all kinds of different stories, and you never who to believe how how they, you know, how David Coverdale sacked the whole band. Yeah, right. Because right, it wasn't even just Sykes that got that got yeah. the food. It was everybody. Yeah, <laughs> and this kind of actually, in a way, this Blue Murder record is kind of like if uh, if there was a record in between White Snake and Slip of the Tongue. Yeah, that was a White Snake yeah. record. Yeah. this could have been it. Yeah, you know, and yeah. John Sykes on the tour sang some White Snake songs, and he did a perfectly credible job with it. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, listening to his voice on here, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a hell of a singer. I was I was really blown away by what a good vocalist he actually is. That's the other thing you see when you look at the Blue Murder like story is they're always trying to find somebody else to sing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think who they had, who they thought they were going to try to get to sing on this project. I thought they were going to. It was it was Ray Gillen. Yeah, from uh, from Badlands and 
stuff, yeah. which that was another sort of late 80s really cool band that lasted. Oh, we talked about that we, album. Yeah, we covered that album. All, That's one of our of favorites. Love that. <laughs> I, I love that Badlands record. Yeah, yeah that, that Badlands record is pretty instrumental in why we're doing this podcast, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Blue Murder. Yep. Um, I, yep. think even, I think White Lion came up in our first discussions cause, just because... Right, yeah. Even though I'm not like Mr. Guitar, I still love listening to Vito Brada play the guitar. Yeah, yeah. And... he's one of the one of the post Eddie guys that actually sort of kind of did his own thing with it. And yes, you know, <laughs> uh, trying to think. Of some, Black Hearted Woman is cool. Ptolemy is cool. Yeah, yeah. Forgot about that song. We were saying <laughs> it's it's, it's, uh, it's kind of almost the proggiest of the tunes on there. You yeah, know? It has its weavy yeah. sections and. <laughs> It it, it kind of it kind of occupies the same place on the record that something like uh like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner does for like Iron Man's Iron Man. Power Slave. It's yeah. one of those <laughs> yeah. numbers. Carmine, more Carmine concise, is killer. But... Carmine is killer on this album. He he really lays it down. That guy hits really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that should be that like should be trees. like an attractive thing for whatever record you see. If you see that Carmine's on there playing the drums. It's like yeah, hey, we should check this out. <laughs> I was funny in the video as Carmine would like every other hit like on two and four like tourless sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Twirl. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the Motley Crue video, Tommy Lee does that about uh, for uh, Dr. Feelgood. He does yeah. that a whole bunch too. He's always moving his other hand over here so he can twirl and stuff. And Robert Sweet from Striper would do that too. <laughs> you know, in the 80s, it, you weren't supposed, you know, the 80s is like, no, you just lock down that backbeat. Because it's not about you freaking out back yeah. there. Because we're just trying to keep like a like a rock song going on. <laughs> so that gives that drummer's like, well, if I'm just gonna be back here playing these four fours, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do some stuff. I guess I can't really blame them. Yeah, boy, I remember in eighth grade, I had a friend of mine. There's a drummer I was living out in Illinois. This was during that era, and uh, he taught me how to twirl drumsticks. I'm like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'd like to learn how to do it's that. It's really not that. It's really not that hard. Well, the, the other one is where you twirl, you twirl them all the way around, and they go around, sort of around the world. That's hard. But the the sort of eighties rock looks harder than it is. It's just between these. Oh yeah, I can. Oh, I can go back and quickly, forward. But yeah. I can do okay. it. Okay. And you kind of have to back the the drumstick, uh, the fulcrum of the drumstick. Yeah, back you got to find your the sweet fingers spot. a little bit. Okay. Yeah, looks really cool. Well, like when you look at Tommy <laughs> Lee, he can just sit there and make, like hit, like he can yeah. like like. Like chop coffee beans with <laughs> yeah. the way he spins it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times. <laughs> John Sykes's guitar tone on this album is really killer, and I think that he used the, he used the White Snake '87 uh, rig, which he didn't use Marshalls. They were Mesa Boogie Coliseum heads, and they were like 180 watts a piece. They had like six power wow. tubes in them each, and I, I'm trying to think if he slaved them one off each other or not, but. Um, can't remember because i've read a lot of articles on this over the over the years mm-hmm. and he plays he's that he's had he still has this guitar on his website he plays a black les paul custom that's got half the finish wore off it you know yeah <laughs> and it had it had in the day it had a gibson dirty fingers humbucker in it which is uh uh overwound paf that gibson used to put out in the late 70s they they have a reissue of it now but um Nice. He he used that guitar. I remember I had a they had a music store in Mundelein that had a black Les Paul custom in it, and this was you know I was only working at McDonald's and you know yeah. <laughs> had yeah. Les Pauls weren't in the picture. Like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> uh, I don't think I could as much as I want it. I don't yeah. think I could get it. <laughs> yeah. and, and didn't he have a signature guitar model at one point? I think so. I think there was a John Sykes signature guitar model. It's a Gibson, right? I, yeah, I, I think it had to have been a Gibson. I can't yeah. picture him holding anything that no. isn't a Les Paul. Yeah, I can't even like. I can't even see it in my head. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. 
I can even picture Slash with things that aren't a Les Paul. Right, well, yeah, because same. Because he plays that <laughs> BC Rich in that one video. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was weird to see for the first time, but all the same, yeah, Sykes is like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was born with the Les Paul. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> I'm sure it was hard on his mother, but, you know, some things are worth it, I guess. John Sykes, he's kind of the next step up from Gary Moore, kind of both mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, because mm-hmm. he, he played in... Uh, he Sykes. mentioned the same thing. I, I mentioned well, Gary Moore earlier, yeah. <laughs> Gary Moore's one of my favorite guitar players, too. Yeah, he's uh, great. Um, Sykes played in Thin Lizzy in the very last iteration uh, mm-hmm. of it, like the Thunder and Lightning album, I think mm-hmm. was the name of it. And you know, and then Phil Lynott kind of went off the deep end with drugs, and he died a couple years later. But... Yeah. Uh, um, you know, if you take a look at Sykes' style, it's very Gary Moore-ish. It's yeah. just kind of hopped up on vitamins or steroids, yeah. you know? <laughs> Full disclosure, I know next to nothing about Gary Moore. I, yeah. He's worth checking out. Yeah. I want to cover his there's, af- there's After the War album. Yeah. There, so I just don't yeah. know how to get around everything. Yeah. And I'm so omnivorous that I get off yeah. on tangents and forget to get back to other things. So yeah. it's just kind of a thing. In the 80s, Gary Moore kind of was his own. He was in sort of as a solo artist, and he did mostly metal albums. Or, yeah. or See, at least album-oriented hard like rock yeah, albums. Yeah. I used to read a lot of the hard rock magazines. Like uh-huh. I, I read like Hit Parader and Rip and Circus, and you would get the little ads for uh, uh-huh. like guitar player albums in the back. And yeah. I want to say that's where I saw Gary Moore stuff was yeah. in the ads in the back. Yeah. yeah. But then about 1990 or so, he kind of did it about face and, and did more blues. It wasn't like old school blues. It was blues rock. Yeah. You know, yeah, think, Pretty tasteful stuff, though. Yeah. You think about somebody like Joe Bonamassa. Yeah, you know that's kind of where Joe got his playbook from, sort of a little bit, you know. Yeah. Oh, I see that he, Gary Moore played on. Okay. Yeah, he's he he saw that train coming that you, that you mentioned earlier, and he's yeah. like, "Whoa, I need to get out of the hair metal thing." I, blues. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm a blues player now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he, and he did great at it, and, and yeah. I think he won awards and stuff. Oh for yeah, it, you, know? you know, over in Europe, he was his fam- You know, you think about how how Eddie Van Halen uh, and Steve Vai and some of the American guitar players cast such a big shadow over the eighties. Gary Moore was that equivalent over in Europe. He never yeah. really got traction so much in America. Yeah. I mean, the people that are quote unquote in the know know who he is, you know, right, but yeah. he never really toured over here that much. And, you know, his albums didn't get very as good attraction, you know, as, as sort of. Yeah, he did that, uh, the guitar solo bits in uh, that Traveling Wilburys song. Yeah. She's My Baby. Yeah. Where, where, where Bob Dylan says, she can play my guitar note for note, and has a, Rawr! that's Gary Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I thought was cool. I, I, I have to imagine that uh, George Harrison was the one who pulled Gary Moore in, because I think the other guys were all Americans and probably didn't know yeah. who he was. That, yeah. that, that's just my theory. I don't know if that's true. but Yeah. Like, so you can, you know, even even Sykes talks about it in interviews. You know, Sykes doesn't ever do interviews, but he'll do one. Yeah, he doesn't you know, do many. Every every other Ice Age, Sykes will do an interview. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but he talks about Gary Moore, and you can you can kind of tell. You know, uh, Sykes does a lot more like pinch harmonics and sort of speedy flat picking kinds of stuff. You know, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, it's funny because the next Blue Murder album after that, I didn't care for very much. He, he kind of ditched Tony Franklin and Carmine, or they left him. Oh yeah, they yeah. all well because I, I think the thing is everybody got well, they got tired of waiting. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably so. <laughs> Dude, make another record. If we're gonna be a band. We gotta keep making albums. And the second Blue Murder album, I don't I don't care for the songs quite as much, and I don't like the mix either. Uh, it's a little bit more sort of formulaic, kind of paint by numbers. I like John f- produced it himself. Yeah. 
I think Bob Rock produced this first album. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh it's, right. that, it's really you apparent. Can, you can really tell you it, You can too. hear it. Big, big drums. No three-piece band ever has ever, yeah. ever sounded more massive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, because, uh, yeah, for the, the, the next album, uh, he uh, had uh, Marco Mendoza on the bass, who's another, mm-hmm. another name who plays yeah. on just everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this Tommy Osteen who played the drums, I'm not super familiar. Yeah. Um... But I think he's only credited because I think Carmine actually came back okay. and recorded some drums as a as a session. He did okay. come back and do some for, of them for the at album. Least. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, yeah. And by by '93, I mean Geffen gave no craps about this band. Right. right. Yeah. It's like yeah. I think we're in Allison Chains in Nirvana. We are. Right. Yeah. Out, you know? I mean, it's too bad that it has different. to be that way. That, yeah. that marketing yeah. has to be such a right. thing. Yeah. Because it also led to some bands later in the '90s who weren't grunge being marketed as grunge yeah. bands. Right. Yeah. Like you Google know? Dolls and yeah, like Collective <laughs> Soul was, was, yeah. was marketed right. as a grunge band. It's like, nah, no, no, I'm sorry, that's really. not true at all. And you know, well, that happens. Like, well, like the Badlands record that we talked about, it's not really a hair rock album. It's just basically just yeah. a yeah. logical extension of that ripping 70s rock. It just yeah. came out in the 80s. Yeah. So they branded know? it. And there's so some cool got, videos it with it. You know? it, it, got, it got marketed as, as, as a hair metal band, which it totally isn't. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, I mean, even Def Leppard really wasn't like a hair band no. as such. And, no. Huh. You no, know, but you have to sell it somehow. And in, in the eighties, there's no internet. Yeah. So you can't have all these crazy subdivided genres. So you have like, there's the rock and roll and there, specifically mm-hmm. hair rock in the eighties anyways. Or and if it wasn't going to be that, you, you, you had like three other genres, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause metal people didn't even talk about metal in, in any sort of above ground way until yeah. Metallica hit a few years later. Yeah. Cause Metallica was still kind of, and justice for all and, and master kind of started to break them into sort of, a bigger strata, but they oh, were yeah. still quote unquote an underground band. Even you know? as, yeah, Master mm. Puppets, they were supposed to be on SNL. Yeah. Oh, wow. During that tour, but James uh, uh, broke an arm skateboarding, which is a thing that comes up a lot in his. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there's a lot of times where you'll read it, but James broke his arm skateboarding. <laughs> I did not know he was a skateboarder. That's like new information for me. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, and even this isn't really like exactly a hair rock album, it has hair yeah. rock production. Right, yeah. it definitely does. But yeah. as you know, him and I were saying, it, it, it's basically like a '70s rock album yeah. that has yeah. '80s production on it. Yeah. It has a lot of shades of you know, uh, White Snake ish. Of course, Sykes was in White Snake, so you know. I mean, the yeah. pedigree of deep, all the deep purple you can tell and, and, yeah. and that kind of flavor of stuff. You know, it's just. But as, I mean, yeah, they all came yeah. up in the time, especially like you know Carmine and John. They're yeah, granted different, slightly different yeah. bits of the '70s, but. Yeah, I really dig Tony Franklin's bass playing on this because he does oh, a lot of fretless stuff on there, you know? Yeah. And it really kind of helps fill in that middle texture between Carmine and, and John, you know what I mean? And they had the sort of obligatory keyboard pads in there. Right, yeah. <laughs> the orchestration <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Because uh, that's one of the other things I noticed on this record is they're kind of not fully dedicated to the idea of always having overdubbed rhythm guitars when a solo is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like, if you listen to Valley of the Kings, I don't think... During his solo, I don't think there's any overdubbed rhythm no. guitars under there. Not that it's I just remember. his guitar and Tony Franklin. I think there might be some keypads just to kind of thicken it. Yeah. But then there's other songs where they do beds of rhythm guitars and then put a solo over it. Yeah. I kind of wondered what their criteria was because, like, yeah. I liked the tone they had actually yeah. not yeah. having yeah. the rhythm guitars. And just being, <laughs> right. you know, we're a three piece and this is what it sounds like. I mean, right. And when you got a rhythm section of that caliber, it's nice to, like, yeah, show, show it, it off. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because you really, you didn't, we didn't, it were you, not in the internet age, so 
you know, us kid guitar players, we either had to watch the videos or maybe go see them live or hope that the tabs were in guitar world or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, or maybe spring for the, you know, the, the, uh, guitar tab songbooks were kind of starting to become a thing and they were getting mm-hmm. better. Um, but they were 20, 25 bucks a pop, you know, to buy. A and I hear that some of those, book. those tab books can be a varying quality as like far as telling you like the particular, the particulars right. of playing, like they may not note to palm mute something like, yeah. I watched this video where this guy was talking about the Injustice for All songbook yeah. and how terrible it was because like he was uh-huh. he was playing black into the way you were supposed to play it per the book. Yeah, and there's like no palm muting oh, and just wow. some of the the way you move just sounds yeah. all wrong. He's like, oh, here's how you're supposed to play it, and then he pulls off a note perfect run through a black end. I, I have to imagine that even in the eight, in, in the eighties, this was a, a thing where you would read it and go, well, yeah. why isn't it telling me to do this bit here? And I can't read those books anyways. I I don't understand <laughs> any sort of musical language. <laughs> That's that's the only way I understand music too. Is I learn I learned from those tab books and from all those Guitar World and Guitar Player for the practicing I, musician. I, I, and yeah. I listen yeah. to the song and go. I'm just gonna yeah. make it sound like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, Except for and then you know if a band was like tuned down a half step, you're like, wait a minute. Right. Right. Which happened a lot. Like, Why are my chord shapes not working? Right. <laughs> yeah. This does not sound the same. The yeah. one I had trouble with is me. Me and some friends a few years ago, we decided we were gonna do a uh, Misfits set for Halloween. Uh huh. And the one thing I do understand is, like, keys and scale and stuff like that. Yeah. So usually if I could find, like, the opening riff of the Misfits song, I was like, okay, no, this is going to be easy to figure out. And I always always have trouble figuring out how to get to the next section. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, but if it's in this key, shouldn't you? And then I started looking at those going, oh, no, they just pick brand new keys and sections to go to whenever the hell they want. <laughs> so, yeah, just knowing keys and scales is not helpful in any way. And so I imagine, like, you know. I wonder what the book would look like for like those, you know. It says, right, "Hey yeah. guys, don't stress anything too much. You're going to be moving all over the place." Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were, were there tabs for Blue Murder stuff? I can't the, remember. I, mean, I don't I, remember I, seeing I, any. I, I I wrote out my own just for practice, you know, and for a buddy of mine that wanted to learn some of the tunes, you know. Uh-huh. Let's but I got out. got out the ruler and <laughs> made. Yeah. I don't even think I had tab paper back then. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, I'm sure they're on the internet now, but oh, like, yeah. uh, but I don't, I you don't, know, I don't I mean, remember them being in magazines and things. Ultimate guitar and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they seemed like uh, I remember reading articles about the band in those magazines. I see some but... very expensive ones for uh, sale on on eBay. Oh wow! Yeah, if they are, they'd be out long out of print. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. For just under three hundred bucks, you could uh, get the book <laughs> for the first album if you would like. Yeah. Wow. wow! Oh, they had a book of the guitar tabs. Okay. Oh yeah, it's on eBay. Okay. That's interesting. Another twenty bucks to ship it. Yeah. So just over three hundred bucks, you could learn how to play just like John Sykes. If, any, if anybody wants to buy that and send it to us, we'd be happy to take a look at it. <laughs> but as as he said, I mean, there's uh, some of those tab books. Usually, the old ones I had, what I had issues with, or it was like the fingerings of them. Yeah. You know, it's like they'd be in the wrong position or something, you know. And they're like, well, that's the right notes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if I played it here, it doesn't sound right. I just thought you the uh, the guitar for the practicing musician magazine. I thought they had the best tabs. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they seemed to be the most accurate ones. Yeah, and... Guitar World had the best articles. Yeah, I think. And they, and they had, yeah, they had more in depth articles about stuff and, and 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 had more interesting picks a lot of the time. Yeah, they, they didn't tab them as accurately, but I've like they they never did. read an issue of Guitar World or Guitar Player. <laughs> yeah. I was I looked at their notes in the back and went, I don't that understand was... that at all. Sorry. Yeah, I would get excited every month when read they would Metal come out. Instead, yeah. 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 <laughs> There was a point in time I subscribed to like two or three of those at once for probably at least a five yeah. to six year period. 
just accumulating them left, right, and sideways. I don't really have hardly any of them anymore, which is a bummer. He but, brings uh, up a good point. Listeners, if any of y'all have any issues of Metal Edge or Circus or Hit Parader or any of those that you don't oh, care yeah. about, please contact us. I've been searching yeah. for these things forever. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, Aaron's been looking for these. So I'm, like, I'm a we, researcher at heart, and yeah. I want to dig into things. If any of y'all know about that or you know about any digitized editions, please hit me up. That would be so awesome. <laughs> those were hip back in the day. I remember going to the 7-Eleven or the nearest Rexall drugstore and waiting for the latest issue of Hip Parader to come out, you know? You know, I can't yep, tell you was, how many issues of those magazines I cut into pieces and hung up on my walls in my in my bedroom. Yep, yeah, yep. they had great posters and stuff, and, oh, they always and, did. and uh, layouts in them and stuff. You know, yeah. Circus <laughs> was another big one. Yeah, in the yeah. Back, yeah. I would send yeah. away like there was like a, an issue, like a special issue of, of Circus or one of those that was just all about Motley Crue. Yeah, <laughs> and it was from like the the early spring of '89, so Doctor mm-hmm. Feelgood hadn't come out. It was being worked on when this issue was, and I sent away for it, and I was so happy because my I had to have my mom send a check, you know. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like nine yeah. years old. Or whatever. Yeah. Totally. Mail order. Mail away for this, and she's like, "You want a rock and you want me to mail away for a rock mag? You don't want? Yeah. I was a weird nine year old. <laughs> oh, the times they they heard changing. <laughs> it's weird being that age and not having another friend who's a music nerd. <laughs> I yeah. bet, yeah. yeah. Everyone else is like, no, I know that song, so what? I'm like, no, but like, check this out. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's cool to be in the 80s metal and pro wrestling. Also, uh, yeah, um, I have the Peacock streaming service, and I see that they have, they, they purchased the WWE streaming service. Yeah, all the and old I don't even ones. like a big wrestling person, but I saw that all their old WrestleManias and Royal Rumbles and Survivor mm-hmm. Series and SummerSlams yeah. were on there, and I was like, yep, I'm watching these. Yeah, yep, in all yep. their entirety. Oh yeah. yes, Hogan versus Andre the Giant. And yeah, that was the era that I watched it. Uh, yeah, oh, and WWF. Still fun. Yeah, yeah, when it was WWF. Yep. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. The funny thing is, I watch I watch Peacock with the uh, subtitles on, and anytime they say WWF, it says WWE. In the <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't remember any other memories of this album. How many videos did they have? They had uh, Valley of the Kings two. and yeah, Out of Love was the other one. Or no, Jelly Roll was the other one. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's one for Which I forgot about. I didn't like Jelly that Roll song at first because yeah. it was sort of bluesy, and I'm like, I'm a kid. I like metal. When I grew them. up just a little bit more, I'm like, oh, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> I had some groovy guitar originally. and stuff on it. I, I, the, the original wave of Blue Murder, of course, I was nine when it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I missed Jelly Roll entirely. And our local classic rock station would play that song, uh-huh. which is crazy because usually there was a little bit more turnaround before you hit with KDGO as the station. In, yeah, um, yeah. But they played it all the way through the through the like late nineties into the early two thousands. I could never remember what the hell song it was, and yeah. finally I like looked it up because I was just going by the the, the code of the love will break you. Oh, I searched for that, <laughs> and, I, and I found the uh, band. I was like, oh my god, that's them. Okay, okay. And that was one of the little things that reignited my. You know, I'm gonna start listening to this band again. <laughs> It's it's funny that this album didn't get more traction. I mean, I mean, I, I think the musicians yeah, and sure. the real rock fans really dug it, and it was you know decently successful on uh, on MTV. But I don't yeah. remember getting it huge track action. I don't even think Valley of the Kings as a single broke top ten. No, no, and no. you know, oh, Carmine said he thought that it was too long of a song to use as their first single. Uh huh. I mean, now yeah. the video is like a full two minutes shorter than the song on right. the album. It is. Yeah, but so they cut it. So they should have done like a, a radio edit I or something. I guess in yeah. the 1989 context, you're still getting yeah. a little bit lengthy with five minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, 
for whatever that's worth, you know. But hey, we all dug it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of my friends really, really dug that. Yeah, up. we were saying so, earlier, it's like an underground hair metal classic, basically, where it's it, it fits the blueprint and it is a great record. But like, it just didn't ha- didn't didn't take off the way that like some of the other it stuff is, did. It, it, it is the thing that makes me think that we need to do an episode where we talk about the differences between between like the American hair rock and the British right hair rock of the time. Because yeah, I yeah. had literally never thought of it until you said something, and we were sitting here looking yeah. at this album. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is like a British band. Basically. Yeah, like the the Euro okay, metal. Yeah, no, I need I need to look more into this because I didn't yeah. think about it at all. It never really occurred to me. Yeah, even though Def Leppard's British, they just seem like a very American band. Right? Yeah, yeah they and do. I think yeah. They, I think that, well, and they would be the first to tell you that they wanted to be huge in America. Yeah, they, from yeah. the beginning, they would be the yeah. first to tell you that. Yeah. So you know what? That means that they achieved what they wanted at least. Yeah, be. right. They so were good at what? it. Yeah. yeah, congrats, guys. <laughs> you know, when you, American rock, you you basically had three kind of progenitors. You know, you had uh, Kiss, Aerosmith, and Van Halen, mm-hmm. which yeah. you know, in and by themselves, were th- really three different bands. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> drastically different <laughs> bands. But even still, you know, I mean, uh, Van Halen really set the template for 80s metal in terms of the whole Sunset, sunset Strip vibe and, you know, yeah. really interesting clothes and lots of hair, you know. A lot yeah. of the bands didn't have, you know, the songwriting chops or the diversity that Van Halen had, but still. Um, and European rock, even European rock metal kind of gets all lumped together. Like, you know, uh, Scorpions are a vastly different band from from white snake and right oh yeah or or, you know and it sort of gets all a little bit smushed together part of that's music marketing because we all like our labels just like (laughs) (laughs) so i mean european metal is is a vast ocean of different styles i mean you know right yeah thin lizzy or crocus or (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know pants like that you know, yeah, Crocus is another band like that. For some reason, that name keeps coming up lately. I have a Crocus record in my collection. I totally yeah. didn't even realize I did. Yeah. I was looking through my records the other yeah. day to find something to listen to, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's a Crocus album in here." Yeah, yeah. it's. I've uh, been shocked that they keep coming up for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we it, should do a Crocus album sometime. All right, they, pop, they would pop up on MTV like Headbangers Ball and that kind of stuff too. And I think <laughs> Beavis and Butthead caught a couple of their videos. <laughs> yeah, their reviews were maybe not the most favorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking with us, Ryan. You um, bet. And thank Glad you guys you at home for listening. We definitely appreciate it. We're going to take a, a, like we said earlier, we're going to take a short break, retool some things, and we'll be back with season three. All right. See you later, everybody. Thank you. Hey, metal memory.